0: It's like I told with after the first two years. You hired me for what's about to come. Because what's
1: about to come is the hard part. That's your boy. That's your judge of character.
2: I don't know if I could follow
1: that one up. Khalil Herbert is everything we dreamed of and more. <laughs> Pete,
2: nobody's looking at your <laughs> tweets.
0: I love our guys. I love where we're going and what we're doing. We cannot stop... Fighting the
2: good fight. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. I'm yelling into the void, and that's what I like doing. (laughs) Get you somebody that loves spruce tips as much as Pete does.
1: Why did I pick Pete to cover 14 points against NC State? I'm a moron. Do
2: we need to get better? You bet. And is that my responsibility? 100%. I
1: want to know what you're drinking,
2: Rob. It is roasty goodness, even though I was out. What's the percent on that? 11. Smells like you're drinking, like, cleaning solution. We're going to put this old guy in a grave. The end has already been written. We just got to go through the hard part to get there. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast.
1: Welcome to 2D Pokey's Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthaud and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. You guys are getting a double dose of us this week. Robbie, how you
2: feeling? Better as the week has gone on. It's, uh, you know, the pain subdues... The only problem is that you start to have hope again. It's kind of a weekly trend after a a loss like that halfway through the week. You're like, eh, you kind of ignore. It's like ignoring a hangover here. The hangover doesn't feel as real anymore. So you're like, oh, I can go, you know, have some drinks with friends. And then you wake up that morning and, you know, you're not feeling great again. (laughs) So true, man. We're going to skip the cheers
1: and just kind of get right into it. We did an interview with David Teal that's already been recorded, and we're gonna play that for you in a second. Uh, it was a phoner, so we apologize for any quality issues that you you might see, uh, hear in the podcast, but it came out pretty well, and it was some good perspective. So we'll play that for you now. We are now welcoming in David Teal. He was 2019's Virginia Sports Writer of the Year, the 13th time he's won that award, actually. He's a Virginia Sports Hall of Fame inductee. He had written for the Daily Press since 1984, but recently moved over to the Richmond Times-Dispatch after his free agency. He needs no introduction, but we gave it to him anyway. (laughs) Honored to bring Mm -hmm. on Mike Tomlin's favorite writer, David Thiel.
0: (laughs) I don't know about that, but I'm one he's known the longest. I think age has its privileges there.
1: (laughs) I love that little clip of him reacting to you, though, uh, from last week. We obviously wanted to get your perspective on the Commonwealth Cup since it is hate week for Virginia Tech and UVA, and you're the state's expert on the matter. But first, we want to talk about what's going on with Virginia Tech head coach, Justin Fuente. You just put an article out about Fuente's uncertain future, and he's been under fire for weeks now, ever since that Liberty debacle, even going back to 2018, though, or the Duke blowout or the dalliance with Baylor, as you put it. He's been a polarizing figure as of late with the fan base. What's your take on where the head coach stands at this point?
0: I think it's the great unknown, right, Pete? I, I I don't think that any of us can be certain. Whit Babcock keeps his own counsel. He has not come out and issued the, you know, vote of confidence or anything like that or assured anyone publicly that Justin Fuente will return and he has not done interviews. We've not been allowed to, you know, to quiz him about this. And, you know, I, I kind of understand that because he wants to take into account the, the complete body of work and let's see what the season looks like after Saturday night, hopefully uh, that, that we play at, at Lane stadium and make judgments based on five complete seasons and whether this is that whether this is the head coach and staff to to move forward
1: so silence uh for the fans that want him gone could be viewed as a good thing cuz he hasn't gotten that vote of confidence <laughs> right? but it doesn't necessarily mean anything in your opinion
0: no i don't i don't believe it does and I, i'll tell you this i don't think with Babcock wants to fire Justin Plante for several reasons. Number one, it would be expensive. Not that I believe that money will be the driving force here, but it will be undeniably expensive. I and mean, in a year when Virginia Tech, and like every other power five athletic department is forecasting a revenue shortfall of more than $20 million, but there's no guarantee that, you can find someone better. And oh, by the way, Whit Babcock and Tim Sands hired Justin Fuente. If they fire him, that is an, an indictment of their judgment in hiring him in the first place.
1: That, that is true, I suppose. Uh, Fuente's been nothing if not contentious and perhaps even condescending at times with the media. We know he can be stubborn. When you think of the qualities the head coach of Virginia Tech should have, or at least would be ideal to have, do you think that Fuente has been exhibiting those qualities lately? Well,
0: lately, I think everyone is stressed by the pandemic. And when your team starts to go sideways during a season, that's stress enough. But then later on the pandemic on top, and hey, I I know that Fuente snapped at my colleague Mike Barber after the pit game with the infamous that's the most ludicrous ludicrous crap I've ever heard, next question. Bad judgment, bad temper, shouldn't have done it. But for the most part, I mean I I'm on every Zoom that Fuente does. He's been pretty good with us during the season, win or lose. After games on Mondays. You know, I, I haven't found him that contentious. Now is he stubborn? Yeah, he's he's got that streak in him. You know, especially when he when he doubled down about you know, the last what fifty-five seconds of the first half against Clemson and and also you know the, the Liberty the, the the ending of that game but but with the liberty of with, with the liberty decision he apologized to his team mm-hmm. and said look this is this is all on me and i found that refreshing
1: yeah well i guess the simple question would be do you think wit moves on from fuente and if you don't want to answer that that's okay but do you, can you offer an answer to that question whether you think he'll move on or not
0: Right now, I would say
1: no. I don't
0: think he does move on. But if they lose by three or four scores on on Saturday night, you know, I think all bets could be off. And, the, and here's the thing, and this is always kind of my stock answer to these questions. What none of us can really know is what is the relationship between Whit Babcock and Justin Fuente, and was that relationship strained by the Baylor, Baylor dallions? And if so, how much was it strained? Yeah, and I think I think those components here are essential. If your athletic director, president and head coach are in alignment, I think the odds of a firing are long indeed. If they're sideways, and Virginia Tech fans who are old enough to remember when Jim Weaver fired Seth Greenberg as basketball coach, it wasn't because Seth Greenberg hadn't won enough games. It was because the record dipped a little bit, but Greenberg and Weaver were sideways. And when that happens, the AD is going to be far quicker on that trigger.
1: Interesting. But you think UVA matters. Like You think the result of UVA matters for Justin Fuente, that his, his destiny isn't already written. I, I, I don't.
0: His destiny may be already written, but I don't think that his team can go out there and just be completely flat and it appear that they're done and get boat raced and have it not that I, I think I think that could turn the tide because again what we don't know and you, you mentioned fan unrest earlier Twitter is not a scientific place <laughs> Twitter is Twitter is a place for angry people that's where they go to vent Twitter and message boards and I get it if I were a fan I'd be the same way I was the worst kind of fan as a kid. I would scream at the television and pound my fist. And if I had Twitter back then, I'd have been raising hell. But does that reflect the most generous and influential donors out there? We don't know that either. And I wonder, you know, if if Saturday night got really bad for the Hokies, would that influence some of those donors, which would in turn influence Babcock and Sands? Again, things we, we cannot project.
1: Well, that's a good segue, because I'm going to flip it over to my partner here, Robbie, and he's going to ask you some questions about the UVA game specifically. We'll, we'll move off of Fuente into the actual football stuff.
2: Yeah, We're- and and I appreciate it, David. Um, let's... Hopefully, move into what could be either some more fun topics or less fun topics, depending on how this weekend this weekend goes and in this UVA game. So, Virginia Tech is is on its four-game skid; it has not gone well, and Virginia has done the exact opposite in their past, winning their past four games. There was obviously some a couple gaps in there, but four wins in a row, including a really nice win against UNC in a tight game on Halloween. Can you remember, just with all of your expertise of these programs, a time at this point leading into the Commonwealth Cup that two teams of Virginia Tech and, and Virginia headed in such an opposite direction with uh, so much going on behind the scenes and with just their record at the time?
0: Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't think it's all that unusual. I mean, heck, if you just go back two years ago, the Hokies had lost four in a row Going into to the UVA game, they were sitting there at what four and six, and had to beat not only the Cavaliers but in but Marshall the following week, which was was a late replacement for the canceled East Carolina game. And you know, UVA had already won eight, the Hokies had already had only won four. Everyone thought, you know, this is the year the streaks going to end. And then the moon and stars aligned. And Ryan Willis throws a heave, and then they fumble it into the end zone. And I mean, and Bryce Perkins fumbles in overtime. You know, and, and then back in, in, in the two thousands when Al Groves bunch was struggling, you know, it seemed almost every year that the Hokies were rolling and Virginia would come into the game reeling. Uh, this is only the, the third time in the last thirty years that Virginia has entered this game on a four-game run, the others being 1991 and 2011. The crazy thing about those two games is that they were both decided by 38 nothing scores. <laughs> I mean, it's just a it's just bizarro world, and I was stunned to, to, to find that when I was looking through the Virginia media guide the other day. But the Cavaliers beat the Hokies 38-0 in in 91. And then 2011, the year Mike London was ACC Coach of the Year and Virginia went to the Peach Bowl when the Hokies ended up in in the Sugar Bowl against Michigan. You know, the Hokies beat UVA. Same score, 38 love.
2: That's incredible. And and, I don't know if that's a good sign for this weekend or a bad sign.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And, and, And oh, by the way, that 2011 game was affirmation of my horrific handicapping skills because <laughs> I actually I actually wrote that week that the streak was going to end, and if you don't think by the middle of the third quarter that Twitter was all over me, I mean it was it was merciless and rightfully so.
2: Well, as a as a follow up, just to that. As somebody that covers UVA so closely, what do you think has been the change in the last four games versus what was happening earlier in the season that's helped them really turn, not turn things around necessarily, but really, you know, put out some really good performances and some good wins against, you know, BC, we, I think we know is a really good team. And they put up a good fight against Clemson, obviously that UNC, uh, win uh, is a really good one in a, in a tough game. What what have they been able to do to turn things around in that in that respect?
0: I don't want to simplify it too much, but Brandon Armstrong is a huge part of it. I mean, once he returned from concussion protocol and started rounding in the form, they've been really good on offense. And oh, by the way, they've had to be because as Virginia Tech fans can relate to that Cavaliers defense right now is decimated by the Juwan Briggs transfer and the Richard Burney illness and the season-ending injury to Charles Snow, Brent yep. Nelson's ongoing issues. And, oh, by the way, last week Noah Taylor misses the game. Presumably, we don't know officially. But Virginia had six players out because of COVID protocol, and Noah Taylor was nowhere to be seen on Saturday against Boston college. So that defense is really struggling. I mean, Dennis Grissell is a former walk-on. He's BC's backup quarterback. And Oh, by the way, he threw for 520 yards <laughs> on, on Saturday. You know, that, that only ties Doug Flutie's school record. And it's wow. the most ever against Virginia by any quarterback. So, you know, they've, they Virginia have had to do with offense and Armstrong is the first quarterback in Virginia history to have back-to-back games of 400 yards, total offense. Who would have thought at the beginning of the season that Brennan Armstrong would do something that Bryce Perkins never did.
2: It's funny because we, we kind of thought through what we wanted to ask you and it was going to be about Armstrong and you already answered uh, a good portion of that. I, I do wonder building off of what you just said, Justin Hamilton, obviously the defense has been even a little bit Jekyll and Hyde, even in, within its own games between first half sure. and second half. And it's been a little bit all over the place. Do you think that we're going to be able to defend what I've seen with Armstrong? And I think what the stats have shown is as they've moved away from the pass towards the run, the offense has generally just improved for UVA. How how dangerous is he in a passer? And what do you think in, is Justin capable at this point in his tenure, which is extremely early, able to make some corrections to defend the, the QB run against Armstrong?
0: I think both teams are going to be in the 30s Saturday night. I think each is going to have trouble defending the other. And and I, I thought just, it, it's interesting that Justin Fuente this week compared Brennan Armstrong – Not to Steve Young, which is a comparison many have made, probably because he's left-handed, but to Taysom Hill, who played for Bronco Mendenhall at BYU and is currently with Drew Brees on the shelf, doing pretty well as a New Orleans Saints starter. Well, the interesting thing to me is I asked Bronco Mendenhall last year, the day before the Orange Bowl, and just casually mentioned, you know, tomorrow night is... Bryce Perkins' last game as a Virginia Cavalier, Brennan Armstrong as the heir apparent. We don't know anything about him. We don't see him in practice. Tell us about him. And the first guy that Bronco Mendenhall mentioned was Taysom Hill. Mm. And I, I, th- I think you can see it. I mean, he just has kind of an edge about him, and he'd rather lower his shoulder into you than step out of bounds and doesn't have the prettiest throwing motion, but and, and by the way, nor did Bryce Perkins. But Armstrong has, has been able to get that done. Now, he is prone, as Perkins was, to some interceptions, which can obviously get you in trouble, and that's what got Grossell in trouble against UVA. He threw for 520 and four touchdowns, but he also threw three picks, including two
2: in the red zone. And that's a recipe for disaster
0: every time.
2: How do you think Hooker and/or Burmeister, depending on who mm-hmm. plays or who's healthy, right. are able to to work? That secondary is severely depleted. They have obviously some attrition on the on the defensive line, but I think the secondary is really taking the ding of it. The linebackers, even I know with with some of the injuries, are it's still a very very stout uh, linebacking core for UVA. What do you think? Um, your thoughts would be on Hooker or Burmeister and what they're able to do against that secondary in this game?
0: Yeah, I think we could see a lot of Kavion Robinson and James Mitchell down the field, and they've both shown some capabilities. I mean, that ball Burmeister threw to Robinson the other night against Clemson to kind of ignite that that touchdown drive was, was very impressive. and I think the Hokies are going to need to have more of that saturday night against uva and if if they're able to do that then that opens things up further for khalil herbert and in the run game uh you know virginia tech guys has only scored three touchdowns in the last 10 quarters that's a bad trend line but look who they've played against clemson miami and pitt are three of the best four defenses in the league three of and three of the best in the country, Notre Dame being the other elite defense in in the ACC. So yes, the Hokie success on offense this year and, and its and their statistics on offense are front loaded. But I think that's in large measure for two reasons: the opponents and Herbert's health. You know, when when he had that hamstring and they started playing stout defenses. You know, that that offense looked and was lost, and I don't think Brad Cornelson did them any favors with what I think we would all agree was some unimaginative play calling.
2: Absolutely, I'll, I'll finish it off with: Do you have a score prediction? What are what are your thoughts? We're we're not uh, just orange and maroon glasses. We like to look at games mm-hmm. objectively and figure out what we we think is going to happen, not just what we would hope to happen so what what are your thoughts if you have any on a a score prediction for this game
0: i'm trying to remember we do a predictions blog at the times dispatch that mike barber coordinates and i had to send him my prediction i picked uva i picked him to win by less than a touchdown with both teams in the 30s i can't maybe 38 35 in that range but i'll tell you what guys I have, number one, I have zero faith. Let's go back to the 2011 story, <laughs> but and, and all week long, I'm looking at the ACC network, and whenever they talk about the Virginia Virginia Tech game, they're flashing this graphic that the ESPN FPI, the Football Power Index, gives Virginia Tech a 64 and percent chance of winning the game. And yeah. oh, by the way, Vegas likes Vegas likes them by two and a half. And I'm like, which team has won four straight and which team has lost four? And so, yo, know, well, what am I missing yeah. here? So I, I think it's going to be, and I hope, I hope it's a really entertaining game. You know, these staffs and these players, not just at Virginia and Virginia Tech, but around the country, but particularly in the ACC, to think back in September when the original Tech-UVA game was postponed, And we just didn't know what a COVID season was going to look like to think that the ACC still has a chance to have 87 of 90 regular season games played is darn near heroic. And I think the players and the coaches and all the behind the scenes folks, you know, the equipment managers and the, and the trainers and the doctors And the chief medical officers and everyone who has put these protocols in place, man, they all deserve a standing
1: ovation. No doubt about that. And the fact that we might have two ACC teams in the playoff when everything's all said and done, it's a lot more money that was generated by playing all of these games for the ACC and otherwise. And and the ratings have been through the roof for Notre Dame and, and everything else. So it's, it's been a success really. And before we let you go, I wanted to get your thoughts on Shane Beamer going to South Carolina. Sure. And did you ever think there was a chance that he was going to come to VT or maybe Witt had reached out and some back channels to him?
0: (laughs) I I never thought that Witt was reaching out through back channels. I just, in in my mind, and I hey, I could be totally wrong. I, I didn't and I don't think that he's made a call on Justin Fuente. So if, if he hasn't done that, then I don't believe that he's out there trolling for other coaches. Maybe that's naive, but I don't believe that's how he operates. And I think I know how he operates pretty well. Uh, Shane to, to South Carolina, you know, to, to, to think how many group of five jobs that he had a chance to take or that he pursued and, and didn't get and all of a sudden you, you land yourself in the SEC East at a school where you coached in the state where you were born. I mean, that's, he's got to be pinching himself and rightfully so. And you know, to me, we, we can all talk about it. And it's absolutely true. The lessons that Shane learned from his dad and Steve Spurrier, right? Two hall of fame guys. How, how could that not benefit an assistant coach to have that kind of experience? But I'll tell you what, having worked for Lincoln Riley and Kirby Smart may serve Shane just as well because Kirby Smart and Lincoln Riley, what do they have in common with Shane Beamer? Their first head coaching job was at the power five level. So he got to watch Lincoln Riley navigate that transition. He got to watch Kirby Smart navigate that transition. It's a daunting one. But at least he's seen it from the ground floor and now, in his mind, knows, okay, this is how those cats did it. Maybe I would want to do this differently, mimic this. So I think that gives him quite the foundation.
1: Well, that's a really good point and some great insight on Shane right there. And great insight across the board, helping us out with the UVA preview. Honestly, you lighten the load for us because now we don't got to say a whole <laughs> lot after we hang up. But uh, again, David, thank you so much for coming on and to have a, you know, a living legend like you. I mean, come on now. Hall of Famer on the podcast? Hey, we feel very fortunate.
0: You, 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 you flatter me and
1: you are far too kind. <laughs> and I hope I didn't prattle prattle on.
0: And uh, louse
1: up your podcast. Oh, not not at all. We would gladly have you on anytime. Uh, make sure to check out David's work at the Richmond Times Dispatch. I don't know if you're podcasting. I tried to check. You were last year. D- did you hang it up for this year on the microphone?
0: No, Mike Barber and I do a weekly podcast. Okay,
1: okay. Wonderful. Yeah, well, check that out as well. I'm I'm assuming that's coming through the Richmond Times uh, feed on yeah, Apple Podcasts. Doc-
0: Yes. com. Exactly.
1: Okay. Okay. Great. Well, thanks again, David. And uh, we look forward to speaking with you in the future. Hey,
2: David. My thank pleasure, you very guys. much.
1: Thanks for having me. No problem. Absolutely. At all. Well, I thought that went really well, Robbie. I don't know about you, but uh, there were some interesting things I
2: think we could take away from it. Did you have any initial reactions to the interview? I thought there was a couple different reactions that I had, and you and I have talked about this on the podcast. I was of the, impression that Fuente was gone and he seems obviously as somebody that is more uh, objective in the way that he's looking at things doesn't really know because I I found it reassuring to understand that wit keeps it as tight with him as he keeps it with everybody. Really, he does not disclose a lot of information. I actually think that's a really great trait and uh, all these arguments between coaches and ADs and all this stuff that gets put out into the public I really don't think is a good look. So I find that refreshing for our program, but I don't know if he, he has a thought one way or the other, and he's one of the most well-tied into the Virginia program that you're going to find out there.
1: Yeah. He definitely threw some cold water on the idea that Fuente is 100% gone. And whether it was reaching out to candidates or knowing whether his fate was already sealed No, like David indicated that he doesn't think it's already sealed and that he doesn't think he's reached out to candidates. And that's coming from a pretty reliable source that he also caveated that he doesn't know everything and that anything could be happening as well. But that was his opinion.
2: But he did add one thing that did reassure what I have been saying on here and you and I have been talking about is he said money wouldn't be the problem. He said he doesn't know how how enticed right now the boosters are to spend the money well, where they are. But in the grand scheme of things, if Witt wants to make a move and you can catch that. And when he talks about it is, er, and when you listen back to it, he says that that's not really going to be the holdup. It's Fuente. It's Fuente's guy. It's Sans guy. And I wanted to interject, but it's his interview. And I wanted to say, well, it's kind of also an indictment if you don't let him go. Right. That's now an indictment of your decision making if you don't let him go. But uh, I, I totally understood his point. And we've talked about that, that. It's hard to fire the guy that you were bringing in that you thought was the right candidate. Mm-hmm. That's got to be a tough thing to do. But it happens all the time.
1: <laughs> I mean, yep. it happens again and again to a lot of big programs that sometimes you got to let someone go that you hired. And even as bad as that might look, I do want to kind of finish off the UVA preview Although David did help us a lot with the legwork. But first, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Downtown Crown Wine & Beer and Dominion Wine & Beer. Talked about them earlier this week. We'll talk about them again. They have the best selection around. It is the perfect place to go grab a gift for your loved ones. And their online presence, whether it's their Instagram or their website, where you can do all your online ordering, And have curbside pickup if you prefer that. Everything is top-notch. Their beer list, if you're to go in to either Dominion or Downtown Crown, both got great places to sit and have a beer inside and outside. Obviously, it's getting a little colder, so some of that's going to slow down, but knowing Arash and the way he sets that stuff up, I'm sure it would still be a comfortable experience if you want to
2: go grab a beer as soon as this week. Yeah, they have the heater set up in a nice way with like the system outside putting in heat, so me and my wife were actually talking about how they keep those things heated and then we went and we saw it they have like a tube going in so the actual motor for the heater all the exhaust if you will is all on the outside so it won't smell like high earth and in, in inside all of the tents so they have a really nice setup they have heaters in on both the tents and uh i honestly i i really like the place and like i've said on the podcast before if i could pick it up and move it next to my house then i i certainly would
1: well, for now, Robbie, why don't you tell me what you're drinking?
2: So I don't know. When I was up in Ohio, everything was a mess, and I was, I was dealing with a lot of background noise, needless to say, of, of a bunch of kids running around. I don't. This was one of the beers I got up in Ohio for our beer trade. I don't know if I had it on the podcast and just didn't write it down. We're 425 beers as of today deep in the podcast, and I'm, I'm pretty good with my Excel sheet of writing them all down, but this one's the Needle Drop Citrus Pale Ale. It's from Land Grant. I don't think I actually talked about this one. I may have had it when I it was up in It doesn't sound familiar.
1: You did have a Land Grant beer, but I don't think That's it right. was that one.
2: That's right. And it's a needle drop citrus pale ale. So it's not an IPA. It's a pale ale. And it's refreshing. It's not the perfect time of the season to be drinking something like this. But that also makes it nice. I drink a lot of stouts and dark beers during this time. So every once in a while, getting kind of a, a refreshing citrus beer is pretty good. Obviously, Land Grant is going to be from Ohio, and I like it. It's a a really good drinkable beer. Uh, Once we get to warmer weathers, I could see myself having a few of these out playing cornhole, playing, you know, hanging out in the backyard. Uh, They go down smooth, and uh, I like it a lot, actually. Well, over here, I'm
1: just drinking a yinling light. Uh, wasn't really planning on having a beer, but I just finished some food, and I was like, oh, I'll just take one down. So I'm, I don't know if you'd classify this as a crispy boy. Those are the, the ones that are usually <laughs> like the Bud Lights and the Miller Lights, but yinling light is one of my – if I'm going to have a light beer, it's one of the ones I prefer. Anyway, let's move to UVA. We, like I said, we covered a lot of ground already, but I think it needs to be stated like UVA beat us last year for the first time. 15 years. We had the 15-year streak going, and they beat us 39-30. to Now, some of those points came at the very end on on the fumble and everything, and we didn't have Farley, but they still got us. And it was a hell of a football game, but bitterly disappointing still. They went 9-5, and they won the Coastal, and they lost to Florida in the Orange Bowl. And then they lost a lot of guys. I mean, we talked about them losing Bryce Perkins, but there was a number of other players and Uh, some receivers and whatever else that they lost but this team doesn't look too much different than last year's team if you ask me now they've dealt with some injuries but don't don't you kind of agree with that
2: like it's pretty similar in nature the style of what they're trying to do both on offense and on defense is very similar to what they did and I know that's kind of it's kind of a cop-out because of the way that they play in that 3-4 defense that it obviously looks very similar with the linebackers. And sometimes they shift in that 2-4-5. So that's a little bit of a cop-out. But Bronco is kind of stuck to the same strategy, I think, in the same person that he wants to see behind center. They don't rely too much on the running back. Their defense is very tight in the middle. Not so much. Well, it probably would have been a lot more in the back end. And then on the front end, they they're, they don't care about it as much. It's more about the linebackers than than up front for them. So I would agree.
1: Yeah, and, and the similarities in Armstrong being more of a runner than a passer. I did see this one stat that since he's returned from his concussion, Armstrong is averaging 332 yards per game of total offense. Bryce Perkins only averaged 307 last year, and Sam Howell is leading the ACC at 324 on the season. So for the last five games, Armstrong is basically the best quarterback in terms of yards produced in the ACC. It should be noted that a lot of yards did come against Abilene Christian, but uh, he's still, I mean, that kind of speaks for itself. He's putting up a lot of production. He's a heck of a runner. And I'm worried about that in particular. I'm not so worried about his passing. They do have weapons, but it's the running that we've seen for years, not not from UVA, but across the board against Virginia Tech, running quarterbacks. They are our kryptonite. Well,
2: Before, I, I have a lot to build off of that with, but when I was going back through my notes, I had to make sure I didn't write it read down incorrectly. You would have thought it would have been he was playing really well, then he had a concussion, and then he was playing really poorly. <laughs> Instead, evidently, the concussion just snapped him into playing very well or i guess what actually probably happened is now they are they're scheming the right way around the way that he can can actually play but i was jotting down my notes going wait is this backwards do i have this backwards nope it's after after concussion protocol he's having like a he... rookie of the year
1: moment here yes. <laughs> the injury has has made him better uh, and just against bc he went for over 400 total yards he's got 16 touchdowns passing and five more running. Though I will say the weakness for him against the conference teams in the passing game, he only has a 131 passer rating. So he he had a great passer rating versus and Christian, but over the conference games, it's only 131. That is very pedestrian.
2: Yeah, he's. I mean, he's their leading rusher. He's got, which is not saying a ton, but it's 529 yards on 11 carries, five TDs on the ground the passing game uh, you and I just talked about um, with one of the experts. And that is going to be something that I hope we can take advantage of is, is his arm talent is nothing to, you know, really write home about, but he can do it with his feet. And we've seen what that can do to Virginia tech defenses. Granted we're under a new defensive coordinator and hopefully we can cheer that up and not have that be the same as it was in the past. And we're, we're putting in a different scheme in this game. And thus far, I don't feel like this year, if I went back we're we're at the, almost the end of the season, If I went back and thought about everything that happened during the season this year. I don't think, and I'm trying to remember the running quarterbacks that we went up against. That was not really our Achilles heel. And even in some games in the past few years, even not good running quarterbacks managed to put up good yards on mm-hmm. the ground. So I feel like, you know, that, that's a little bit helpful for us in this game.
1: I did want to talk about their receivers because it's kind of a odd group. You've got three seniors in Jana Poljan and Henry, but you've got that six seven freshman, Lavelle Davis yeah. Jr. He is he is the highest average for receptions of almost anyone I've seen. He's over twenty five yards a catch and five touchdowns. And then Billy Kemp, which was listed as a running back. Has the most receptions on the team. He's got fifty-eight receptions, five hundred and seventy-one yards, and he's clearly like the possession guy. He's only five foot nine. Uh, the average is under ten yards a catch. It's like polar opposites between him and Davis.
2: Yeah, I, I again, I had to go recheck my notes and say, okay, they're leading receivers and running back. Okay, what is what is actually going on here? But the way that they've played him is obviously. Um, in, in, like you said, more of the possession kind of receiver, uh, using him, letting him use his, his legs and their tight end. I think is really good. Uh, Tony, I think it's Poljan is the way it's pronounced. Oh yeah. He's, he's the so, tight end, not a receiver. Yeah. 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 And he's a tight end for them. He has five TDs, uh, and between him and Davis, they're, they're making a lot of their scoring production. And then. Tell I believe it is. That was we'll pretty good. Find out. <laughs> I think <laughs> I'm pretty close on these tonight for some reason. So, Uh, 86 carries, 387 yards, another five TDs on the ground. Those are really the four that I kind of look at and think about what this offense really is and and contain. And and when you really think about it, I think it plays a little bit to the strength that we have. And if you saw some of the gaps that we had against Clemson, when we mess up downfield and we're just completely off, People are wide open. It's happened in probably six, seven games this year. It's not like the breakdown in coverage isn't, oh, he was a few yards off. It is people just running wide open in in the backfield. So I'm hopeful that this sets up a little bit better for us to keep things in front.
1: Yeah, I, I sure hope so. They are ninth in tackles for loss allowed on the offensive line. That's very good. Just four per game. But 38th in sacks. So basically when they do give up tackles for loss, they're they're usually sacks, I suppose. And they're 52nd in yards per rush. And that's even with as good as Armstrong has been, they're only in the middle of the pack in yards per rush. So this is a very strange offense that's had, you know, they had Lindell Stone back there for a few games, which is messing with the stats and everything. But, in general, it's a good offensive line. They got good receivers. they got a running quarterback who is dangerous uh, in different ways. And they also have Keeton Thompson, who was yeah. supposed to be one of the quarterbacks or competing for it. And now he's one of their better rushers. I mean, he went off for 86 yards and two touchdowns against BC. uh it's there's a lot to deal with here. that they, What they're doing on offense is something that tech should be doing is finding creative ways to use talented players. And we never have seen Burmeister and hooker on the field at the same time that might do something wild. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're
2: just going for W's and offensive production. And it doesn't matter if you have to use a running back as a wide receiver, or if you have to use a tight end in certain situations, It, it doesn't really matter to them as long as it's working and it's keeping what is oftentimes lesser talent in the offense that they have uh, competitive against teams that have decent, decent defenses. So that it's, I hate, uh, I hate saying that many good things about what Bronco is doing and what they're doing on offense, but they're just finding ways to produce. Regardless of what it looks like, what the stat lines are, what your position is, it's just trying to find unique ways to to make plays happen. So let's move
1: over to their defense. This is where they've had several injuries and opt-outs. We talked about Briggs and Snowden and Bernie. They're all out. Falmouth, he he opted out before the season. Noah Taylor didn't play, and that's a big one. He didn't play last game. I don't know if he's going to play this game, but it doesn't sound particularly good. The heart and soul of the defense is the linebackers. Like the D line has taken on so much water, had so many injuries. It is not there's like no production there whatsoever. Almost all of their sacks, which they're fifth in sacks per game in the country. They 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 come from the linebackers. And that's a scary group with Jackson and Zandier and normally Taylor, but Matt Gom has come in and, and stepped up big in place of Snowden. And there, there's other guys too, like but the key ones. I mean, Jackson leads the team in tackles. Forty nine solo tackles for Jackson, and what is not a full season. It's
2: amazing. Yeah, and I think the Snowden not being in is. I mean, he has six sacks. He's an amazing player, and the injury is unfortunate, but a, a huge benefit to us. But Zandier is second on the tackles. The linebacking core is so deep for them. They go almost five, six deep in the the linebacking core. They're soft at the defensive end right now because of the injuries. They lost their nose tackle. The linebacking core has made up for what has been problematic up front. The secondary doesn't have that same benefit. And that's where I think it kind of feeds into this game.
1: Yeah, the secondary is weird because there's tons of seniors. I mean, it's like four or five seniors, and I know Nelson isn't playing, and Joey Blunt is uh, maybe out, and they've had other guys in and out, Darius Bratton. But uh, there's a lot of experience, so I don't understand why they're 104th in opposing QB passer rating and how BC's backup quarterback threw for 520 yards and four touchdowns. Like, how did that happen against all these seniors?
2: I, I It's... It doesn't make any sense to me. And I haven't watched all of their games because I have no interest in doing so to <laughs> right. see how it's played out. But it it doesn't look good. And I will say, and not to jump to the overview for the game, but if well. we can't pass against this secondary, then we just can't pass, period. And if Burmeister comes in, he, he'll he be able to pass on the secondary. There's There's no doubt in my mind. The way he threw the ball last game, the way he threw the ball early in the season— I know there was, you know, I mean, he wasn't great great. earlier. (laughs) No, he wasn't great, but he, he still has right now. He's throwing the better ball better than hooker downfield. There's no question about that. I, I, and he just showed it coming off the bench cold. And, uh, I think if we can't throw against this team, at least, you know, deep and intermediary passes are not a part of evidently Virginia tech football anymore. So just deep passes, then I don't know who we could ever do it again. So I think this is an opportunity.
1: Do you remember in the Notre Dame game last year where basically Quincy either threw right to the line of scrimmage or he threw deep? Yeah. And we kind of saw that just last week. And I wonder what the strategy will be here because clearly there's not a lot of faith in the quarterbacks. So they, I guess, allow them to stretch out the defense by throwing it deep, but then try to move the ball essentially by throwing some short shit. I don't know what we're going to see, but I kind of think you're right. Like, will we throw any intermediate passes? I have no idea. And hopefully, hopefully something we haven't seen from Fuente is kind of pulling out all the stops. Like he's, (laughs) he hasn't, he hasn't had a game where he just like threw the kitchen, kitchen sink. But like, if he's going to do it, it might want to do it this week when it could be your last game as the Virginia
2: tech head coach. Well, in the scheme from last week, not in terms of the, you know, holding the ball until and then snapping at the last minute, not that portion of it, but the actual game plan to either go deep or, or to throw short routes actually works really well in this game. Pull the linebackers. The linebackers are exceptional. Pull them forward, you know, stress them out on whether they have to go back and help in you know defensive coverage or whether they're going to be aggressive Because they lead the team as sacks. They lead the team on tackles for a loss. They really are fundamental in that 3-4 to the actual pressure that you're getting behind. Pull them up with a few runs and then go deep. Go deep with a few and then let Khalil Herbert take it. This is a a nice setup for us in terms of what we're... Maybe not what we should be doing, but what we're comfortable doing. And the game plan that we've actually put out on the field could actually work out really well here given how talented they are in the middle.
1: Yeah, no, I I think you're right. And I think you were dead on when you said, if you can't pass against this team, you're going to have a really hard time. I mean, this is, this is such an easier matchup than the last three weeks for this offense. And that's something that, that David mentioned. Uh, overall, despite the four game skid, I do like our chances in this game, and so does Vegas. Two and a half point favorites. We've got a shot, and especially in these rivalry games, it does not matter. We we saw it in 2018. It does not matter what you're doing going in. It matters what happens on the field that day. We gotta get Tavion, Blackshear, and Mitchell going in that pass game. And Herbert, I know their linebackers are tough, but he should have a day here, too.
2: Yeah. I, I'm I'm with you on everything. I think Herbert is going to have some tough sledding here, quite frankly, against that that linebacking core. But everything else you said is, is spot on. And but I think Herbert is going to he's going to force them to pull up a little bit and be aggressive against them, which should open up the pass game for the, without those linebackers, anybody dropping back. He's such a threat. He has such good vision, such good motion. He can lateral, he can go vertical when he needs speed. I think that is going to be a huge benefit. And regardless of what his stats are uh, at the end of the game and what they are, I think he's going to play a pivotal role just by being on the field and forcing their defense to do something that maybe they're not comfortable with and quite frankly probably haven't seen yet because I think we're, we're all pretty convinced that Herbert is, if not one, the second best running back in the ACC. And so this is, this is new territory for what UVA is about to see.
1: And I don't really care how tough the sledding is. You need to get Herbert those 20 carries. We gave him a yep. 21 last week against a really tough Clemson defense. He needs 20 this week no matter what yep. uh, because he's one of the best players on the field. you you got to give him the ball. Let's do our picks. And, you know, I just realized I forgot to send these over to you, but let's just do them live and I'll read off the spreads and you give your picks.
2: That's fine. I, just so everybody's clear. So Pete is now I ran the numbers last night. Sixty five percent on the year. Wow. Wow. I had to creep my way up to 52%, so I'm above 500 now, but in, and la- the past two weeks, you've been perfect, six for six, and then five for five uh, the week before, and creeped your way up to 65%, which in Vegas makes you a lot of money, yeah. so that's I- why I always say, listen to Pete, don't listen to me, so <laughs> y- not knowing the lines is probably better for me than otherwise. Well, we're going to start off with my weakness pit at georgia tech
1: (laughs) pit games have not generally gone well for me georgia tech six and a half point underdogs at home i don't have a freaking clue what to do with this game when they used to play when paul johnson was the coach these were impossible to predict and i don't think it's any easier here i will take the points but i don't feel particularly good about it gt
2: i'll take gt as well (laughs) I think I'm probably riding your coattails on that one, but I'm going to go um, for two reasons. One, an Xbox just became available, so I'm doing <laughs> that right now as we speak. But two, uh, I don't have a good feel for either of these teams. That, yeah, uh, yeah. You're, you're
1: mailing that pick in because you're getting an Xbox. Next game, week at Louisville. Louisville's now without 2 2 Atwell as well as Javion Hawkins. They're both opted out for the year, but Louisville's still a two and a half point favorite. Who you got, Robbie?
2: I'm going to go with Wake. And for a, a reason, because Louisville, now their coach has really not done a very good job of inspiring confidence. He stepped confidence. in. It. <laughs> yeah, he stepped in a huge pile of dog shit in his comments. There's two sides of it. And one is like he wants out. So he's kind of making his way out by, you know, putting the stuff out there. Either way, the coaches, his assistant coaches, his administrators, nobody, the players are not really feeling it. I would imagine right now.
1: No, I'm taking Wake as well. UNC at Miami. Miami three and a half point favorites. This is a big game, ranked matchup. UNC can kind of you know upset a top ten team here. I don't know. UNC has not been that good the last handful of weeks, and I know it was Notre Dame when they just lost, but. I like Miami. I'm going to take Miami yeah.
2: cover. I agree with that. I, I think Miami still has a lot to play for right? in this game. They only have one loss. I mean, they're still playing really good football.
1: Yeah. It's it's kind of a weird season for Miami. Like they They did really well, but they're going to have absolutely nothing to show for it.
2: <laughs> yeah, and here we are in the pandemic. It, it makes me feel better because if we only had one loss and it was Clemson, now I would know that we wouldn't have any ch- chance at the playoff either. So,
1: it's, that's true.
2: Duke at FSU. This
1: is this is not a cool game at all. No. <laughs> Florida State four and a half point favorites against the reeling Blue Devils. Um, I'm going to take Florida State. I, I, yeah. not, you're not getting anything out of Cutcliffe right now.
2: Uh, no. In fact, I'm. I would be very surprised if he doesn't retire. Within moments after after this game is over, so he is he's done a great job over his career. Nobody can say anything bad about him, but it's it it's done. I think most people know it's just done, and I think he's tired.
1: Last two weeks have gotten ugly. Yeah,
2: Wisconsin at Iowa, Iowa one and a half point
1: underdogs at home. Wisconsin is still ranked in the AP poll despite being two and two. Their losses coming to Northwestern and Indiana, correct? So, like, yeah, yeah, they were they were two good losses, but I don't know why they're in the AP poll. They weren't in the committee rankings. I like Iowa at home, especially if you're giving me a couple points. You're bothering me here because I already
2: wrote down Iowa. So, yeah, Wisconsin is a little bit fraudulent at this point. Let's put it that way. Graham Ertz is not building off of that great debut performance.
1: That's right. USC at UCLA, we're going to pick two Pac-12 games just because I'm not sure if we've picked any yet this year. No, none. <laughs> maybe maybe one? I don't no, know.
2: No, we picked, we picked the USC. No, we picked Stanford? Know. Did we pick or, a Stanford yeah, game? Yeah, maybe we picked one game.
1: I don't know. But USC at UCLA,
2: the battle for
1: Los Angeles. UCLA and Chip Kelly, three-and-a-half-point underdogs.
2: I don't like Chip Kelly. You know that. I'm going with USC. Uh, we finally have a difference. I'm going UCLA has kind of I think they've strung together a couple wins here, even though nobody really expected it. I will never believe in USC until they actually do something. It's just been year after year, year, and it. The fact that after all these years, people are still high that USC is going to be great, even with all their recruiting classes, is just so bothersome to me. But I will we'll split the difference here.
1: One thing about the Pac-12, taking the points like you're doing has been profitable this year. I feel like every game, you're better off just taking points because no one has a clue what the heck's going to happen. That's that's about right. Utah at Colorado. Colorado in the rankings. Yes. They're one-and-a-half-point favorites at home
2: against Utah. I'm taking Colorado. I think that team's good, actually. And um, they won't get much, much um hype this year but they've played really really well and utah has fallen off after last season they had a really good season they had lost a lot of players uh people to the nfl so i'm gonna go colorado on this one
1: yeah i'm gonna ride is it carl Durrell? is that yes. is that the name i'm gonna yep. ride that train man i everyone kind of poo-pooed that hire when it was made but he's done well in his first few games at colorado i'll take the buffs i agree all right, that will do it for the picks and pretty much for the podcast. I'm excited about the Commonwealth Cup. Honestly, the last couple of weeks have been painful, to say the least. And if you're not a Fuente fan, it is conflicting to watch the team do good. No matter how much you always want to root for Tech to win, it has been conflicting. But there is no conflict when it comes to the UVA game. There is there is no Oh, man, I hope they don't because of Fuente. No, it is 100% I want to kick their ass. And I think, I kind of feel like we're going to come away with the victory here. And I don't really care what that means for Fuente. I I personally believe that his fate is already sealed. And that's another reason why I, I have no problem wishing the worst upon UVA this week.
2: Yeah, so I, I would agree with you. I did like that Teal backed up another one of my arguments, which the UVA game might actually matter. He waffled a little bit, but if if this is a bad game, I'm not I'm not hoping for that. I'm not expecting that. I don't think we even need that. To your point, the, for for things to take the the path that they're most likely or could be on, but uh, I think if this is a bad game, I think you have to move your goalposts to. 65 to 80% that he's gone no matter what. And regardless of what the financial situation is of programs right now.
1: Yeah. I think any loss, it would be cemented. Like if if he were to lose, you could, you could safely bet your mortgage on the fact that Fuente is gone. But if he were to win, it does leave just the tiniest window of opportunity. And I'll be clear. Like, I don't know anything more than the average rumor monger knows. However, there's a lot of smoke right now about different candidates and I'm hoping some of the rumors are true. <laughs> let, let, yep. Let's put it that way. All right, that's going to do it. Robbie, did you have any final thoughts or
2: you're good to go? I don't. Just to, again, it was awesome to have David Teal on on the podcast just without how- Excellent, he is covering all the programs and how great of a writer and how knowledgeable he is about the programs. It was just really fun. It was. It was a lot of fun.
1: You can hit us on Twitter. It's at two DVT. Two DVT at gmail.com is the website, and two dvtcom is our. I got that backwards, but you you know what it is. Two DVT dot com <laughs> is our website where you can stream all of our podcasts and check out all of our beers and check out all of the stats that Robbie's been tracking all year long just one more game for you to track man <laughs> barring right. a bowl game which i who knows what the hell is going to happen there
2: yeah we'll we'll find out but i will i will finish off the stats for the year and you guys can all reflect on five years of of fuente uh when they're all up there and look at the quarterbacks and, and what we produced
1: make sure to subscribe on apple podcasts rate and review us and until next time when hopefully we're celebrating a big win over uva go Hokies